0: Welcome to fine-tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and Mr. Taylor, whose writings on the industry you can regularly read over on The Wrap, and whose musings on the Mission Impossible movies you can listen to on Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast, he and I are recording this week's show on Sunday, August 27, 2023, and Last time we talked, Drew, you you were on the other side of a earthquake. Uh, this has been a quieter weekend for you. Or?
1: Yes, yes, it has. It has. Okay. I've been I've been running around a lot, but everything is. I mean, at least geothermically, it's <laughs> everything is calm.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. speaking of calm, I love that picture you posted yesterday of Nova on National Dog Day or Oh, Worldwide National Dog? Pet
1: Day or National Dog Day. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What a sweetie. I'll send you a picture of her in her rain poncho, which she was wearing last weekend.
0: Yeah. Oh, (laughs) poor thing. All right. Anyway, folks, we start this week with a bit of sad news. Arlene Sorkin, the very first actress to voice Harley Quinn, the now iconic Batman character, passed away on Thursday of, of this past week, August 24th. She was just 67. Mr. Taylor and I will pay tribute to Miss Sorkin, as well as explore the origin of this Batman character on the second half of today's show. But before that comes the news, and as always, news portion of today's show is brought to you by. Turing Plans' own travel agency. So if you're thinking of heading back down to Walt Disney World in the not-so-distant future, these obviously knowledgeable folks can help you plan your dream vacation. They'll even toss in a free subscription to Turing Plans. So if you're planning on visiting Central Florida anytime soon, please check them out at TuringPlans.com backslash travel. This show will go live on Tuesday, August 29th. One week later, on Tuesday, September 5th, the very first Oogie Boogie Bash, a Disney Halloween party, will be held at Disney's California Adventure Park. This year, they're doing 25 nights. Sadly, it's already sold out. Uh, Runs from 6 to 11 p.m., though if you have a ticket, you can do the mix-in thing starting at 3 I, I'm thinking we may need to to ask folks to help us out with tickets here, because did you see who they're adding as a character to this thing?
1: Yeah, it, re- it really broke my heart when I saw who was going to be there.
0: Please explain. Okay, so no.
1: Judge Doom is going <sighs> to be there, who I <sighs> cannot remember. Has he ever been in the parks, Jim? I
0: don't think so. Ah. <sighs> and i'm blanking the name of the villain from coco they did last year with the amazing makeup appliance oh yeah
1: ernesto de La cruz yeah. yes
0: i mean they did an amazing job and if they do anything that's even approaches that this is must see this is and particularly yeah. for two huge fans of Roger Rabbit like you and i this is like we got to go we got to go well it
1: also He he is a character that is not co owned by Steven Spielberg. So that also makes it a much easier (laughs) lift.
0: There we go.
1: And then the other, the other new character is Yokai, who was the yeah. villain from Big Hero 6, who will be appearing mm-hmm. in the San Francisco area
0: yes. of the park. Yes, yeah. which, by the way, officially opens later this week. Thursday, August 31st, to be exact. So, yeah. Though I, I have to tell the other thing that sort of finally tipped the needle is that, you know, that I'm not proud. I'm asking. Did you see that the one of the other characters is Mad Madam Mim? Oh,
1: I love Mad Madam Mim. Well, what are the
0: point? That was the very first Disney film I saw in a theater. But this would have been December of 63, maybe the following month, January of 64. So I was all of four or five. But the Wizards battle, I mean, what's so funny of of animation fans of a certain age, it's like, or animation pros, you know, you ask them why they got in the business, it was like the Wizards battle in Sword in the Stone. I, I wanted to do that. So I'm just putting this out there, folks. If you happen to have a couple of extra tickets for, say, the week of October 19th through the 26th, and you know you want to hang out with two guys who know way too much about animation, we, we, we would be happy to join you.
1: Yes, absolutely. Well, I think, Jim, that was one of the first Disney movies I saw as a kid, too, because
0: really? oh, it was cool.
1: one of the first ones they put out on Disney. VHS in 86. Oh,
0: God, you're right. You're right. Yeah. What was so funny about those early, early films, it was like, what isn't necessarily a crown jewel? What can we push out the door? And it's, wow, you know, because kids at home are sitting there, oh, mom and dad, if I could just get a copy of Million Dollar Doc, my life would be complete. And it's like, you know, I mean, how long did it take? Wasn't it Pinocchio was the first real one of size? And even then, I want to say when they first put it on the market, didn't it go for like eighty dollars a copy?
1: Yeah, I think it was released in '86 on LaserDisc and Beta yeah. mm-hmm. and VHS, and I think I rented it on Beta then. And then mm-hmm. it co- became commercially available in '89 for the mm-hmm. like lower the. Twenty five dollars or whatever.
0: Well, yeah, I mean they first cut it in half to forty, or, or excuse me, thirty nine ninety five, and then it was finding that sweet spot. What's the actual price that people will do the impulse by? Yeah, sword in the stone, get, getting to see Madam madam or again, Judge Doom, Judge Doom in person, kill me. While we're talking about the Disney parks, though, something else I want to bring up is that supposedly. Disney's board of directors, along with senior management, has been down in Florida doing a walkthrough for the past couple of days. And what's kind of interesting about that is they've supposedly been seen in Disney's Animal Kingdom being toured through Dinoland USA. So the Moana and Zootopia thing that Josh DeMaro talked up at the D23 Expo last summer might be getting closer to a go than previously thought. Boo hiss. <laughs> Boo. Well, this is the modern Disney company and it's, you know, when in doubt. In fact, September 7th is is that when Tiana's Palace is going to open at Disneyland replacing the old French Market? I mean, this is Yeah. This is the Disney company of today.
1: Did you hear that for the media preview they didn't actually let anybody go into the restaurant because it was still under construction. <laughs> so they had everybody go to the Disneyland Hotel and try the food there.
0: <laughs> that is kind of in the great Disney tradition. In fact, by the way, have you got yourself a copy of this book yet? The uh, Presenting Disney, the Forgotten Photos of Opening Day by Aaron Goldberg? No, not yet. Oh, you have to chase yourself down a copy of this because it's literally – I mean, photos taken the day of the park is open, so you get to see the crowds, the parade, and more to the point. Never mind. Oh, the restaurant. You know, the restaurant opens in two weeks and it's not ready for people to go into. This is like the women whose heels are sinking into the the fresh asphalt. This is pictures of that day. This is how unprepared they were, and they still threw open the doors. So I mean, you know, it just it, it's one of those things where if, if they were a savvy PR person and someone was giving them lip about how come we can't go into the real restaurant. It's like, let me tell you about July 55, my friend. Yeah, you could have gone into the restaurant and we would have told you, don't sit down. The paint's still wet. <laughs> and of course, one of the restaurants that opened back then was the Chicken Plantation Restaurant, which brings to mind, of course, Chicken Run Dawn of the Nugget. You had the bit of news about how this is going to be rolled out uh, by the folks at Netflix, right?
1: Yes, well, it is premiering at the BFI mm-hmm. Film Festival, okay, which is on October fourteenth, mm-hmm. and then it'll be on everybody's Netflix accounts that December. But makes sense. Mm-hmm. They had a really great show last year with uh, they had uh, Pinocchio at the BFI mm-hmm. or the mm-hmm. sorry the London Film Festival, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it's uh, it's all finally happening, Jim.
0: But again what's kind of intriguing is remember when this stop motion film first came out in 2000 for that iteration we had Mel Gibson voicing uh Rocky Rhodes the the circus rooster you know the one who got shot out of a cannon this time around Zachary Levi he he's voicing Rocky in this one
1: yes absolutely okay i don't know if that's a downgrade or a sideways grade or
0: well, what? you know, I mean, I, again, I, I, I enjoy Mr. Levi, you know, and, and, and in fact, certainly enjoy his work as Flynn Rider in the a Tangled movie. And, and speaking of which, I forget which fan event he was at where he talked about how there's been a lot of talk lately about a live action version of Tangled that Disney is supposedly getting one ready. Have you heard about this? Where where supposedly they've talked with uh, Baz Luhrmann about directing?
1: Yeah, I don't believe. I don't believe any of that. Okay, at all. Yeah, I saw the rumors. Baz Luhrmann and Florence Pugh and damn,
0: yeah. Okay, well, what's interesting is Levi sort of is in the same space as you. There's this thing floating on the internet. I just saw it. Someone sent it to me that Florence Pugh potentially might play the role of Rapunzel. And if Florence plays Rapunzel, what about me? Also, he wants to co-star with with Florence because it's like, her last name is Pugh. I mean, P-U-G-H. So you could make the pew-pew noises on the set of Tangled. And it's like... Yeah, he's taking this seriously. But how far-fetched is it really, given that, you know, we know the Russo brothers are working on uh, Hercules. Uh, Lilo and Stitch was shooting in Hawaii until it got shut down for the writer's strike and the actor's strike. Dwayne Johnson is supposed to be coming back to play Maui in the live-act version of Moana. So Zachary coming back to play Flynn Rider, not all that far-fetched. When's the last time you heard anything about that Robin Hood redo?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it was Carlos Lopez Estrada was supposed to do it. He Mm -hmm. sort of left Disney animation sort of not, I don't know, in the the best of terms. uh, But... All right. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that is going to happen anytime soon. Okay. Although, to me, that's a, a more interesting proposition than some of these other ones.
0: That, no, I get that. I get yeah. that. The Aristocats, and and I think we were talking on the last show about the uh, Mufasa, the the Lion King prequel slash sequel thing. Yeah. Which of course now brings to mind the Snow White live action film that we're still a, a year or more out on that one. Well, it was
1: supposed to be March, but now that Dune has relocated. I Ooh. think that Snow White could potentially move because it used to have March all to itself. I that's, mean, I think Godzilla versus Kong was maybe there, but okay. Dune is an entirely different kettle of fish, and I think that it might kind of scare Snow White, not to mention all the bad uh, buzz that has yeah, been generating.
0: Yeah, and in a weird sort of way, I feel bad for Renee. In fact, what's been interesting is, is watching some of the more teary- Stuff that she's putting, been putting out there to try to sort of damage control, but on the other hand, did you see this interview from the Telegraph with with David Hand, the son of the original director of the thirty seven hand drawn Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? So by the way, David Hand's dad's name was David Hand. So let, let's make this totally confusing. Yeah,
1: ninety three years old and. This British newspaper just sought him out to try to oh, yeah. rile him up. It, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's one of these angry man yells at crowd thing. Now, mind you, to be fair, this David Hand did work at Disney as a designer in the 90s, and he's uh, rightfully proud of his dad's work. But he talked about when it comes to this live-action Snow White that it's a whole different concept, and I totally disagree with it. And I know my dad and Walt would very much disagree with as well. He goes on to say it's a disgrace that Disney is trying to do something new with something that was such a great success earlier. Their thoughts are so radical now. They change the stories. They change the thought parses of the characters. They're making up new woke things. And I'm, I'm not into any of that. And I, I want to pause here for a moment. And this is what makes me crazy about woke these days is that... Whenever you ask somebody to explain what woke is, they just sort of deflect to it's something they don't like. That's about as specific as they can be. And I think what makes me crazy about Mr. Hand having this opinion is what have we seen so far of this live-action version of Snow White? I mean, uh, you and I actually saw Gal Gadot and, and Renee on stage at the D23 Expo last year, enthusiastically talking up the movie. But have have we seen a teaser trailer? Have we seen a trailer? I think there was like
1: one image of Gal Gadot or something they showed at D23, but no,
0: nobody's seen anything. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So how is it that, you know, I mean, like this quote, you know, there's no respect for what Disney did and my dad did. I think Walt and he should be turning in their graves. And it's like, look, after you've seen the movie, you can have that opinion, you know. You're perfectly entitled to, but in this space, where even the one image that was out there of of those folks in the character costumes, that then what was that? Was that? But a, those a, were like
1: stand-ins.
0: Or well, something? no, it was, that's it. Exactly. wasn't even an
1: image from the movie. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just it's one of these things where it's like the only people who could have an opinion about this are the people who actually worked on this thing. We haven't seen Frame 1, so do you have to rush to hate it? Can you, can you wait a few months till it actually arrives in theaters and then hate it? On the other hand, it used to be really popular to, oh, it's a new Adam Sandler thing, let's hate this. What did you think of Leo, the trailer that's out there for the new Netflix thing?
1: I really liked it. I've seen like, I don't know, 20 minutes of Leo or something, really? and I really, really like it. Yeah. Oh, cool. It's very charming. It mm-hmm. was co-directed by some legendary comedy people, including Robert uh, Smigel, who is uh, one of the funniest people on earth. And one of my, the highlights of Annecy mm-hmm. was cornering him at the Netflix party and talking to him for like 30 minutes oh, about his entire career. You are so,
0: killing Yeah. Me. Oh, yeah. how cool, how cool. Yeah, the best. By the way, it is popular to hate on, on Adam Sandler, but I have to say, how gracious he's been this past weekend with the passing of Bob Barker. The Happy Gilmore battle on the golf course thing seems to be the clip <laughs> du jour that, that's out there for Bob Barker. And I cannot take credit for this witty take. I mean, we lost Bob at the age of 99 earlier this week. But did you see that? The, I forget who who even wrote this line, but it's very appropriate given... That Barker was the host of The Price is Right, that he managed to get as close to 100 without going over. Yes, Uh,
1: (laughs) I did see that. I love that. I also think it's appropriate he passed away on National Dog Day because he did so much for animals.
0: Yes, for animals. Yeah. 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 Okay, well, that's cool. And while we're on the topic of television, you pointed out Rick and Morty is back on Adult Swim starting on October 15th. Still no word yet officially about who's going to be voicing the title characters, right?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. No no trailer yet. Mm-hmm. I think a couple of images. Mm-hmm. But maybe they'll just get Dan Stevens to come do it on Rick and Morty like they, he did on Solar Opposites. Interesting. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Have you been watching the new Futurama, by the way, Jim?
0: I have not. And, and in fact, that's getting killer numbers, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That was one of the things that, that sort of put it back on my radar. That, oh, crap, that's been on. In fact, I am so far behind the eight ball here. I haven't watched any of the new Futuramas. I'm now, I think, three episodes, soon to be four episodes, behind on Only Murders in This Building, season three. But anyway, uh, back to Rick and Morty for a sec. Okay, we're getting 10 new episodes. And what's kind of interesting about the whole Justin Roiland thing is that he left the show in January of this year. And so supposedly everything was recorded. So what's kind of interesting is supposedly they're going back in to these 10 episodes and doing all of the dialogue replacement in post, which, again, just kind of fascinated that we haven't heard anything about that.
1: Big Benjamin Brat and Despicable Me energy <laughs> there.
0: Did you see where, what, like a tenth of a second... Of the Pacino version of that character showed up online. You know, they they, they got one line out of I, it. I think
1: it's still in the movie, right? That line is. Is it really? <sighs> I think so. Yeah. Okay. Got to go find it.
0: All right. And finally, as we close out the new segment here, folks, a uh, sad note for all, uh, well, all us Studio Ghibli fans. Uh, acclaimed anime art director Nizo Yamamoto passed away on August 19th after a long battle with stomach cancer. 70 year old, and if you love the clouds in the Studio Ghibli films, that's that's Yamamoto. In fact, when his stuff would show up in films, it, you know these amazing vistas of clouds. They were actually called Nizo Clouds. But anyway, you know his work because he he art-directed Castle in the Sky, Graveyard of Fireflies, and Princess Mononoke. So, uh, you know, uh, sort of heartfelt condolences to the friends and family of Nizo. And speaking of of condolences, when Drew and I get back from break, uh, we're going to talk about Arlene Sorkin and the character of Harley Quinn. So Drew, you have talked previously about growing up and running home to watch animation. You know, and again, you 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 were lucky enough to you know at a time when you know there was this amazing second flowering of, of syndicated animation in the afternoon. And so, what what was the first show on your radar there? Well,
1: I mean, all you know, the, all of the kind of. Uh... Disney Afternoon stuff was was huge. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. there was also this kind of second wave of stuff that was triggered by the Fox version of the kind of Disney Afternoon which Bill Mechanic started after he left the Eisner he did. version of Disney. He did. Yeah. Which caused a lot of consternation and and ultimately led to the the downfall of the Disney Afternoon because they were a syndicated programming block that aired on a lot of mm-hmm. Fox stations. But anyway, mm-hmm one of the things that fox introduced as part of their programming block but was this batman the animated series yeah which was so unlike anything that had ever come before it and it was and it didn't, when it went on to inspire things like gargoyles which i think is you know one of the best things disney did in that same space absolutely so mm-hmm. yeah i mean I, I vividly remember seeing that first episode and just being like, wow, this is totally
0: Well, never new. mind the first episode from the opening titles. I mean, face yeah. it, when you, the first episode of Batman, the animated series, dropped and you got that amazing opening that's like, this is different. This has a great graphic look. This is a great storytelling style. And a lot of that, honestly... Is on the back of Paul Dini, who was a you know a writer developer on the show along with Bruce Tim, and dang I'm, I'm blanking the other name,
1: Alan Burnett is that Alan your name Burnett is?
0: there we go yeah okay all right so it's 1991 the show won't drop till 1992 but they're in the middle of writing the first batch of episodes 65 episodes for the first season you know with the idea that. It's a syndicated package, so it's, you know, 13 weeks of being able to run a new episode Monday through Friday without a single rerun. It's 1991. They're only like a third of the way through. And so Paul Denny is home. He's sick. And because he's home and he's bored, he turns on the long-running NBC soap opera Days of Our Lives. And, And now, mind you, there's a reason that Paul does this. Arlene Sorkin, who was one of Denny's oldest friends from school, they went to Emerson College together in the late 70s, is a member of the cast of The Soap. She played a character, Calliope Bradford, who the writers of of Days of Our Lives are are now regularly relying on to add a bit of comic relief to the show. So the day that Paul tunes in to watch Days of Our Lives to check up on Arlene Calliope is appearing in a dream sequence on the show where she's dressed as a clown. And Paul is looking at the screen and it's like, whoa, you know, because he just wrote this character for an episode that stars the Joker. And his thinking was that, you know, the Joker forever has always had this kind of anonymous crew of henchmen, but there's nobody who really stood out from the bunch. But Paul pitches to Tim and Alan, let's do something different. Let's give him a, a, a female character to interact with. This is the first, earliest iteration of Harley Quinn. And so, uh, anyway, Paul's at home. He's sick. He sees Arlene play a clown on Days of Our Lives and goes, "Who?" Picks up the phone, calls his old friend from-, from Emerson and says, hey, this is part of Batman, the animated series I want you to come in and audition for. And Denny has since talked about when he was initially writing Harlequin, which, by the way, only supposed to be in one episode of the show. That's important to stress. But he was thinking as he was writing the character, it's like, this is kind of like Billy Dawn from um, Born Yesterday. A, A character that was played by Judy Holliday in a 1948 film for Columbia Pictures. By the way, she won the Academy Award for the role. It's kind of a uh, a ditzy, streetwise blonde, got a bit of an edge. Whereas Arlene, when she got the sides for the thing, she read it and she was like, I know who this is. This is Miss Adelaide from the musical Guys and Dolls. And and anybody who, who knows that show, Miss Adelaide has the song, A Person Can Develop a Cold. And again, she's... She's kind of a very New York woman who's put up with a boyfriend that won't commit. So as she's driving to the studio to audition, she's singing that song over and over again in the car. A person can develop a cold, and by the time she walks into the, the audition, she's got the voice in her head. She walks in, she performed it for the edition, that's it, that's Harlequin, that's who we want. And if you watch movies or TV shows in the 1990s, you've seen Arlene Sorkin, and not just from her work on Days of Our Lives. Uh, she was in John Landis's uh, Trading Places. She did a couple of scenes alongside of Eddie Murphy and Danny Aykroyd. She was also the original female host of ABC's Funniest People. But the role that... Sorkin is best known for today isn't anything she did on camera. It's all off camera, and it's Harley Quinn, which, like I said, only written to be in one episode of this thing. Twenty-second episode of season one. Uh, title of it is Joker's Favor. You can go check it out. Originally aired uh, September eleventh, nineteen ninety-two. But but audiences loved Harley. And do you remember the character at all from you watching Batman, the animated series back in the day? Oh yeah.
1: I, I mean, she was immediately a standout mm-hmm. star. I mean, that was the thing is that, you know, from that first episode on where, mm-hmm. which was involved, uh, I believe it's called on leather wings and it was mm-hmm. Batman versus man bat. Mm-hmm. There were things like blood and it mm-hmm. was like, it was just unbelievable. So every new thing was such mm-hmm. a, was so kind of revolutionary and, yeah, you're right. That like when Harley came on, it was she was so amazing. And then you're right; they kept mm-hmm. writing for her and writing for her. And from what I understand, the character was was as much, mm-hmm. you know, informed by Arlene as as anything else and her conception of the character. But like that great episode where she and uh, Poison Ivy are kind of a Thelma and Louise duo.
0: It's called Harley and Ivy. It's the forty uh, seventh episode of season one. She actually cited that as one of her favorite episodes out of the entire run of the show to do. In fact, when you think about the the new Harley Quinn uh series that's actually running over on Max these days and how they've they've really leaned into that relationship between when Harley and Ivy.
1: Oh yeah. So much of what she is today yep. was mm-hmm. in that episode, including that kind of romantic relationship with Poison Ivy and, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, everything that Margot Robbie you brought know, to the table yeah, too was no. all there and i saw that james gunn kind of gave her a shout out he as did
0: well. he did yeah. and in fact one of the other things that really sort of put rocket fuel in this whole thing was that she and mark hamill had such a, a great personal professional relationship and that when they got in the booth together just to listen to them go back and forth and it's like Oh, we have to have more of these two characters. That you know, I mean, it just there was something about Harley that really brought out something different in the the the, the Joker. And you mentioned what James Gunn put out there as a, a tribute for her, and just want to cite that he went on social media just yesterday to say, "Rest in peace, Arlene Sorkin, the incredibly talented original voice of Harley Quinn." who helped create the character so many of us love, love to her friends and family. And Mark Hamill followed this up and, uh, with the effect of devastated to learn that we've lost the brilliant Arlene Sorkin, not just a wonderful talent, but a truly wonderful person. I'm grateful not only to have worked with her, but to have been her friend, sending my heartfelt condolences to her, her family and loved ones. And after Batman the Animated Series Wrapped, you know, and again they did three seasons. Last episode aired January of '99, but it's at the point there was no stopping. Harley. she started appearing in the DC comic books. You mentioned Margot Robbie, you know, she began showing up as a, a character in films, video games, and for the next twenty years, whenever. Hardly needed to be heard. Arlene got behind the mic again, and so she reprised that, that her vocal performance for that character in Batman the, ad, excuse me, Superman the animated series, the New Batman Adventures, and Gotham Girls. And uh, likewise, you know how many of the Batman video games?
1: Oh yeah, Gotham, mm-hmm.
0: uh, Arkham
1: Asylum, mm-hmm. and Arkham Knights, and all those. Uh, she and Mark Hamill were back as. Mm-hmm joker and harley quinn
0: arkham asylum that was written by paul denny and it was you know just the whole notion of i'm I'm putting harley in this thing and i'm calling arlene again because there's only one way that she sounds and and by the way her two favorite episodes for portrayals of the character. We mentioned uh, Harley and Ivy, and there's also Harley's Holiday. That's the sixth episode of of season three. Both of those were also written by Paul Denny. I mean, he just, it's like, I'm bringing her back. I'm bringing this character back. I'm also happy to report that in addition to having this kind of professional success fairly late in her career, she also had a happy personal life. Ar- Ar- Arlene married in 1999 producer Christopher Lloyd. Not that Christopher Lloyd, by the way. Not the, the Judge Doom guy that Drew and I are so excited to go to. Oogie Biggie Bash. Come on, folks. Give us tickets. Uh, but no, this is the producer of the long-running sitcom, uh, first Frasier, and then he was the co-creator of equally long-running, enemy award-winning uh, Modern Family. But Arlene and Christopher then had two uh, children together. their sons, Eli and Owen. And Arlene began to have serious health problems, which meant finally uh, Arlene had to hand off her Harley Quinn voicing duties to somebody else. And who she decided to hand it off to and, you know, sort of gave her blessing to the folks over at Warner Brothers was Tara Strong, who had actually voiced Batgirl in the original Batman the Animated Series. So she'd had the privilege of sitting in the booth and watching Arlene and Mark you know work together again you know, to work their magic as the Joker and Harley. So she also took to social media this past weekend to pay tribute to her friend. And this is what Tara had to say about Arlene. Without this gorgeous, talented goddess Harley Quinn would have never existed. She was the inspiration and the heart and the soul of this iconic character. I was in awe as Batgirl watching her alongside Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy sending love to her family. And so here we are at this point. I mean, we, we've lost our lead, but Harley obviously lives on. We, we were just talking about Margot Robbie's live-action Tate. And Kaylee kuko from uh, The Big Bang Theory has been doing uh, Harley for the animated series. In fact, the fourth season of that is now airing over on Max, but all of this happened because Paul Dini stayed home from work one day back in 1991 and, because he was sick, and he decided to turn on Days of Our Lives to see you know, what his old friend from college was up to, and, and life's funny like that sometimes.
1: Yes. Also, I, I encourage everybody to read Paul Dini's kind of autobiographical graphic novel, because I, be- I believe it's called The Dark Knight, Night about his alcoholism mm-hmm. and making the show when he was going through something really serious. It's really wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's very honest and open, but beautifully done. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, I encourage everybody to read that. Have you read that, Jim?
0: I have not. You know that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a huge Paul Denny fan, and in fact, one of my very favorite pieces of writing that Paul has ever done. And you'll have to go to the internet archive to chase it down but it describes a childhood trip to Pleasure Island the disney knockoff that was built outside of boston in the late 50s and he tells this amazing story of a childhood trauma where he's on the Moby Dick ride after after having just seen the geriatric Three stooges performing live at the park. And it, it's all came together in sort of this nightmare vision that is honestly one of the funniest pieces of writing I've ever seen. And it it's just one of those things that was on the internet for like ten years and then just disappeared. And I, I every so often I you know, I reach out and nudge Paul to the I of, please put that back up. It's one of my favorite things you ever did. But but now I gotta chase down this book. It's called Dark Knight A True
1: Batman Story. Mm. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, And it is absolutely wonderful.
0: It's really, really great. I will will, will, go to a copy since we're done here. Anyway, Drew and I offer our heartfelt condolences to the friends and family of the late, great Arlene Sorkin during the time of Sorrow. And i I really seriously, I'm going to miss hearing her voice say, Mr. J. But uh, something I never miss is Light Diffuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. So what are you and Charles up to this week?
1: This week is the second part of our Lauren Balfe interview. So if you want to know where the great music from Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, as well as Fallout came from, it came from this man's giant brain. And we kind of get into it with him. And we've got a lot of great episodes coming up. But be sure to check out that part, two; It's available right now.
0: All right. And while we're doing plugs here, I want to point out we have some other podcasts here we'd love you to do to sample. We, of course, have Disney Dish that I do with Lentesta. We also have Marvelous Disney, which I do with Aaron Adams, who, by the way, has a podcast of his own that's well worth checking out. That's called 32nd Street, and that's about the ins and outs of advertising. And, in fact, in just a few hours, I'm going to be recording a brand new Looking at Lucasfilm with Brian Gaughan, where the two of us are going to take a look at Ahsoka, which, by the way, Drew, you were right. Your comments on our, our last show about... That's good stuff. I mean, it's not Andor, but it's, it's definitely good stuff. Yeah. Beyond that, talk to me about social media. Where are we these days? I mean, I'm still on everything,
1: but losing interest quickly. Uh, but if you want to find me, it's Drew Taylor, like a tailored shirt, on Instagram, Twitter, Blue Sky, Threads. You could throw a rock at me if you see me walking past. That's <laughs> okay. always a good bet. Yeah.
0: Oh wow! Okay, be careful of that level of interaction. Oh, uh, thinking of speaking of things of getting started, want to remind you all about uh, Leonard my's new project, Disney Impact, first ever video series. Uh, we're producing that in collaboration with Jim Schull, who spent 30 years working at Walt Disney Imagineering. We're doing some fun stuff over there, and more to the point, Mister Schull, who has a hundred thousand images from all of the projects that he ever worked on at disney we're sharing some, some cool stuff so be sure to check that out we, we've got sort of teaser stuff over on youtube and i think that's gonna do it for now so uh we'll be back soon